Please hear the word of God from 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 15. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who are a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well so that your readiness and desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burden, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Sorry I didn't call the children up. Children, you can go with Aaron and Lexi. Wim, it's your world. Thank you, Jay. Jay, thank you so much for um, for giving me and others, Micah and others, the, the chance to preach. It's really a, an amazing gift, an amazing act of trust, so thank you. Um, greetings to you. It's a privilege to open God's Word with you this morning. Jay asked me to join him in bringing a two-week sermon series on generous giving as we seek to build our giving muscles here at Flat Rock Community Church. The passage I chose for today's message is 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 15, which Jay just read. And I chose it before I knew that Jay had preached on 2 Corinthians 9 last week. Um, These two chapters are two of the warmest chapters in the whole Bible about generous giving. Um, Last week, Pastor Jay talked about how and why we should give. He talked about the way we use our bodies and our wallets as reflections of our most tender priorities. And he reminded us that when we give freely and cheerfully as an act of worship, we will reap a harvest of righteousness. Um, My desire today is that we all be stirred up to give generously. Some of the things that we do in our lives don't require stirring. Eating, checking the mail, getting in the car and going to work. Sometimes you need to be stirred up to do that maybe, but but those things are kind of automatic for for many of us, right? They're kind of reflexive. They are just natural reflexes. But the big hard things that we do, the, the challenges that we attempt, like maybe climbing a mountain or trying to pursue someone that we have our eye on 
when we're single and we're, we're thinking about marriage, or leaving home and trying something new, starting a business, those things require us to be stirred in our hearts with a deep passion and motivation. And generous giving is kind of like that. So that's my, my desire is for us to be stirred up to, to learn how to do this and think about doing this and be motivated to do this. What I want is to explore with you what is God's heart for generous giving. I want to talk mainly about giving money. Giving takes multiple forms, but this passage is about giving money, and I want to talk mainly about giving money today. Money is a universal love language. It's a universal reflection of what our deepest priorities are in life. So therefore, it can be one of the greatest forms of expressing love and grace. So I'll set the stage today by summarizing the flow of the passage about the generosity of the Macedonian churches that that Paul is talking about here. And then I'll share three themes that I see about God's heart for generosity in this passage. And then I'll close with some practical suggestions and stories about giving. All right, so let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the gift of money and the opportunity that our money gives us to reflect your generosity to us. I just pray right now that you would protect us through your angels, through your spirit, from any comparison, any accusation, any pride, any ungodly shame, or any other influences that may steal away our desire to be obedient today. And I just ask that you would enable each one of us in this room to imagine ourselves in a conversation just between us and you, nobody else, just between us and you. And I ask that you would help me to speak only the truth by your spirit, protect me from saying anything that is not from you, And I ask that you would protect the ears of everyone in this room, that they would hear only the truth. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, our passage is part of an extended section of 2 Corinthians about generous giving, which actually started, the flow of this thought and and passage started at the end of chapter 7, verse 13, and goes all the way to the end of chapter 9. And Paul's intention here is to appeal to the Corinthians, as he often did in other letters, to practice godly giving. He loved to promote unity among the churches by encouraging practical demonstrations of grace and hospitality and generosity. And in this particular passage, he encouraged the Corinthian church to give generously by telling them about the extremely poor Macedonian churches, which there were three Macedonian churches, Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. And those extremely poor churches gave very generously toward the poverty relief efforts that Paul was raising money for, for the Christians in Jerusalem. What is striking about this passage to me is that the major thrust of the passage is toward the extreme rather than toward moderation. We talk about moderation in our living sometimes, and and many of the teachings of Jesus and the apostles encouraged moderation. or or simplicity, or or the opposite of extremism. Simple living, minimizing personal debt, living quietly, working with our hands, being content with our circumstances, all these things point toward moderation in the way we structure our practical living, our practical daily lives. 
On the other hand, unlimited forgiveness, radical love, overflowing generosity, radical worship, all these things are extremes, right? They point toward extremism in our relational living, our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. This passage undoubtedly promotes extremism in our generosity. Let's just do a word survey here so you don't have to take my word for it. So let's just look through um, the verses in chapter 8, and I'll, I'll just pull out some words, and you can, you can see if that holds true. Starting in verse 2, through a severe test of affliction, abundance of joy, extreme poverty, overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Verse 4, the Macedonians were, Macedonians were begging Paul earnestly for the favor of giving. Verse 7, see that you excel in this act of grace. Verse 9, God made us rich by the poverty of Christ. Verse 20, this generous gift was being administered by Paul. And then down in chapter 9, verse 2, your zeal has stirred up most of them. Chapter 9, verse 6, whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound towards you. Verse 9, God has distributed freely. Verse 10, God will supply and multiply your seed and harvest. Verse 11, you will be enriched for all your generosity. Verse 12, generous giving produces a ministry of overflowing in many thanksgivings. Verse 14, the surpassing grace of God is on the Corinthians. And then verse 15, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So you see, this, there's no doubt here that Paul is encouraging liberality or, or freedom and, and extremism in financial giving. Why is this? Why, why is extremism in financial giving a good thing? What does extreme generosity do for us? What does it show? What does it produce in us? What do other people see when we give liberally? So here's my answer, which is key to the rest of this message. So listen, listen carefully. God gave everything, becoming poor through the sacrifice of His Son, so that we can have everything, inheriting the riches of Jesus Christ. When we freely participate in the generosity of Jesus through our own extreme giving, we maximize our experience of His grace and our reflection of the beauty of His riches. I'll say that again. God gave everything, becoming poor through the sacrifice of His Son, so that we can have everything, inheriting the riches of Jesus Christ, when we freely participate in the generosity of Jesus through our own extreme giving, we maximize our experience of His grace and our reflection of the beauty of His riches. So I'll share three points that I think support this statement, and then I'll close with some practical suggestions and, and stories. So my first point that I think supports this statement is, giving that reflects God's heart is joy-filled, spontaneous, and liberal or free. We see this most clearly in verses 2 through 5 of chapter 8. So let me, let me read those verses again. In a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, 
and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So just picture these churches as trigger-happy givers. I can't wait to give. I'm so glad to give. It makes me so happy. It increases my pleasure to give. Yes, a new chance to give. You can just, you can just hear the bank account of joy of the Macedonian churches increasing and overflowing in these verses. Please let me give more. Please let me give more. Paul almost seems surprised and taken aback at the extremism of their generosity. This giving was lively and warm. It was reactionary, produced in a loving response to the need of the poor in Jerusalem. It was not sparing. It was very, very generous. And this reflects God's heart, who freely gave us his own son, and along with him, all things, as we see in Romans 8.32. So, point number one, giving that reflects God's heart is joy-filled, spontaneous, and liberal or free. Number two, giving that reflects God's heart appears like poverty on the surface. What I mean by this is that generous giving, godly giving, is costly. You feel it. Look back at verses 2 through 5. We see that the Macedonian churches began with extreme poverty and then gave with overflowing generosity beyond their means. It sounds to me like they gave everything they had to live on. Does that ring a bell for anyone? In Luke 21, 1 through 4, there's a story about one day when Jesus was in the synagogue and he looked down and saw the rich putting their gifts in the offering box and he saw a poor widow who put in two small copper coins. And he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Wow. That's amazing. That is costly. Or consider David's heart in 1 Chronicles 21, 24. God asked David to make a sacrifice for him, and he asked him to make it at the threshing floor of the farmer Ornan, the Jebusite. And Ornan, David came to him, and Ornan said, here, take my, my threshing floor. You can have it for free um, to the king. Um, but David said to Ornan, this is 1 Chronicles 21, 24, no, but I will buy it for the full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours, nor offer burnt offerings that cost me nothing. David wanted to make a costly sacrifice to God. Or consider in the Old Testament God's expectation that his people offer him their first fruits. So in the, in the Old Testament, there was a concept of tithing, giving a, a percentage or a portion of, of your 
wealth, your goods, to God. There is also a concept of giving him your first fruits. And, and here's a passage that demonstrates that. In the book of Exodus, chapter 34, 26, the best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring to the house of the Lord your God. So unlike a portion of our money, which is replaceable, first fruits are not replaceable. First fruits are the best. There's no other fruit like it. It's the most desirable fruit. So even it's hard to it's hard to talk about in our day and age when we give a portion of our money because if you have ten dollars in a row and you give one dollar, well, you can rearrange the first dollar and the last dollar and they're exactly the same, right? The first dollar is not better than the last dollar, but the first fruits were better than the last fruits. There were no other fruits like them. They were the most desirable, the best. They were they were it was costly. To give them up. Or lastly, consider the poverty of Jesus himself. Look at verse 9 of chapter 8. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Friends, there is no better news than this. There's no better news than this. Receive it. If you receive this, these things are true for you. Because of the material poverty of Jesus, all of your material needs will be met. Because of the loneliness of Jesus, you will never be rejected. Because of the filthy rags of Jesus, you will be dressed like a king forever. Because Jesus took your sin in his body on the, on the cross, you can declare your righteousness. Godly giving produces a temporary cost in order to produce an eternal gain. The cost is painful and real, but it's also momentary and not worth comparing to the reward that is to be gained from it. So, number one... Just to repeat, godly giving that reflects God's heart is joy-filled, spontaneous, and liberal or free. Number two, godly giving appears like poverty on the surface. And number three, giving that reflects God's heart actually produces true riches. We see this most clearly in chapter 9, verse 11. Look there with me. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. You will be enriched in every way. That's an amazing promise. Do you want to be enriched? I do. What an amazing thought to be enriched in every way. I want that. A parallel passage to this is Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So he's not only giving us Jesus, he's giving us everything else. We will be enriched in every way. Jim Elliott, who was an American Christian missionary to the 
Huarani natives of Ecuador in the 1950s who was killed by the people that he was seeking to reach with the message of hope offered in Jesus said this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. So you might ask, what are the riches that godly giving produces? So if I'm going to give up my dollars, what am I going to get? What are the riches that godly giving produces? That's a good question. What will we gain through generous giving? The riches that are produced by godly giving are new experiences of God's grace and new reflections of His beauty, both of which we will enjoy forever. So we're giving up something temporary and we're getting something eternal. Look at verses um, 6 and 8 of chapter 9. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Skipping down to verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. This is not cheap language. This is very rich language. Do you want all grace to abound to you? I do. Do you want all sufficiency in all things at all times? I mean, good night. That's what we all long for, right? That's what we all want. We want to have all of our needs met. We want all things. We want all sufficiency at all times. It doesn't get any better than that. That, that is the peak of sufficiency, right? All sufficiency in all things at all times. I want that. Do you want that? Godly generosity magnifies God's beauty in a way that produces thanksgiving in the hearts of others and brings great glory to God. Look at verses 12 and 13 of chapter 9. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. So when you give and other people see your giving, that produces thanksgiving. It magnifies the beauty of God that other people see in you. It brings great glory to God. So it increases your experience of His grace and it increases your beautification, your magnification of God's glory. These are riches that we will enjoy forever and ever. If you have dollars in the bank, you are not going to keep them forever. If you give your dollars away, you will gain something eternal. That sounds like a good investment to me. So we've shown that Paul's major theme here is extremism in giving. And we've shown that giving that reflects God's heart is joy-filled, spontaneous, and liberal or free. That it looks like poverty on the surface. And that it actually produces true riches. 
Practicing godly giving is like strengthening a muscle. It requires regularity and repetition. Over time, you will find that the foundation for godly giving in your life will become stronger and stronger, built on the stories of God's faithfulness in enriching you as you give generously. So let me offer now some suggestions and a couple stories, some suggestions for how to practice godly living and a few stories that that illustrate. Number one, ask God to tell you what and how he wants you to give. Just ask him. Ask him how he wants you to give. He will give you promptings in your heart as you ask him about how he wants you to give if you ask him earnestly with an open and thankful heart. So just ask him. Number two, and next to some of these, not all of them, but some of them, I'll I'll give you a couple passages that you can write down if you want to, to go back and and research for additional study if you'd like. So number two, hold loosely to the things that God gives you as a steward and not an owner. Everything you have has been given to you by God and remains more God's than yours. Cling to Christ and hold everything else loosely in your life. 1 Corinthians 7, 29-31. Number three, count your blessings, not your dollars. Keeping careful accounting of the things you are thankful for is more important than keeping a careful accounting of your possessions. Cultivate a heart of thankfulness. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 Does that mean more coming from a CPA? (laughs) Number four, do not despise small beginnings. This is something that Libby taught me. Just like a workout plan or a new business starts small and builds on the small beginning, so it is with godly giving. You have to start somewhere, guys. So just a recommendation, go out and get $100 out of the ATM and carry it around with you and wait for God to tell you how to give it away. Um, and that, that phrase, do not despise small beginnings, is from Zechariah 4.10. Number five, be prepared to give spontaneously. This might sound like a contradiction, but just humor me for a minute. If you make a practice of spending your dollars before you earn them, you are signing up for a life of paying off debt. And I know this is the American way, but it's not God's way. This does not prepare you well for spontaneous giving. Live simply and within your means, if at all possible, so that when the opportunity to give comes, you can jump on it. Number six, Give in faith. This one is very important, and I have a couple stories to support this one. Give in faith so that your giving will require you to test God's promise to provide a bountiful harvest to you. Give in faith so that your giving will require you to test God's promise to provide a bountiful harvest for you. Because godly giving is costly, it requires faith to believe that the promise that you will be enriched when you give, which we saw in chapter 9, verse 11, is true. So I'd like to just share a couple stories here. So Paul bragged about the Macedonian churches when he was um, writing to the Corinthians, and I'd like to brag on a couple of people in my life that have taught me about God's heart for generosity. 
Um, first, my wife Libby last year decided to accept the challenge of the prophet Malachi. So Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. And in the book of Malachi, God was telling the people to, he was um, admonishing the people to give generously and rebuking them for not giving. And he said, just test me. Test me when you give what is mine. I will open the floodgates of heaven and pour out on you all you need so that you will dwell in a land of delight. And Libby decided to test this promise last year. Um, In our house, Libby keeps the budget for our household expenses and reports to me each month how we did in our actual spending against the budget each month. So Libby decided last year to begin giving money away out of her budget that had been already allocated for other things. So in other words, she was giving unallocated money away, and she was actively trusting that God would return to her the things that she had given away. Um, and, And she decided to keep a spreadsheet in order to keep track of the money that God returned to her. And she found over the course of the year that God continually returned back to her, often in surprising ways, more dollars than she gave away so that there was always a surplus and never a deficit. Another friend of mine who is also a member of this church and a single mom, she asked me not to use her name, has taught me mightily about courageous giving. My friend has virtually no income, and what little income she has is very unstable. And over the last year and a half that I've known her, I've seen her give repeatedly to others out of her own needs. Her giving is always targeted and specific, and she gives in order to maximize the joy of the recipient, even if her giving is not widely understood or appreciated by those around her. And I have seen how her joy has continually increased, and she has not lacked any material need. Her giving has made her richer, not poorer. Number seven, I have 12 points. I like lists. The the rest of these are are, uh, quicker. Number seven, beware of defining riches in terms of material goods, especially in America where so many people are rich in material goods and poor in all other kinds of goods. Be committed to going against the culture. Store up treasures in heaven. Matthew 6, 19 to 24. Number eight, be rich toward God. Be heavenly minded in your giving. Think about God's kingdom in your giving. Think about God's reputation and God's name in your giving. Let your light shine in your giving. Be salty in your giving. Luke 12, 13 to 21. Number nine, do not give out of guilt or fear. Guilt or fear, other than godly fear, should never be reasons for doing anything. Aim for cheerful giving. Do not give unless it gladdens you to give. That's the heart that God wants us to cultivate. Number 10. This one's really important. Get to know the needs of those around you. Ask those in your life how they're doing. Stop and talk with homeless people. Ask gently probing questions to those in your relationship circle. 
nine times out of ten, your cheerful curiosity will be received as a great blessing. God may not ask you to give money to each person you talk to, but you can always pray with them for their needs and point them to God who is rich and able to help them. Number 11, do not give in order to be seen by people. Jesus was very clear that if being seen on earth is your motivation, you will not have any eternal reward. He was very clear about that. Let your giving be in secret for God's eyes alone. Matthew 6, 1 through 4. And then lastly, do not be afraid to be taken advantage of. Jesus was knowingly taken advantage of, but he freely gave without regard for his own reputation. God sees all things and he will make all injustices right in the end. You focus on giving liberally and freely and let God be God in the lives of those that you give to. All things will be made right. Luke 6, 27 to 36. We close now with a poem about giving. God the giver did not keep his greatest prize, but shared with sheep his only son and saving grace to bring us to a happy place. Forever treasure meets my need. Eternal pleasure, guaranteed, gives confidence for me to live and motivates to freely give. Let's pray.